You're listening to the Be Business Ready podcast with EEF's Consultancy Director, Martin Strutt. Join him every month for advice and guidance about the digital manufacturing future. Hello, and welcome to EEF's Be Business Ready podcast. I'm Caitlin Carpenter from EEF, the Manufacturers Organization, and I'm joined by my colleague, Martin Strutt. Martin is an expert in the fourth industrial revolution, working with manufacturers across the UK on how to strategically innovate when it comes to their processes and technology. We're also joined by Nigel Mackey, head of cybersecurity business development at Mass. Mass is a world leader in electronic and cybersecurity, helping UK businesses secure their information. So I'll start with you, Martin. In talking to manufacturers about 4IR and the digitization of workplaces, is cybersecurity something that's on their mind? Oh, absolutely. It's probably one of the first questions that people raise. Um, I think they, they see, um, particularly when people see evidence in the press of cyber attacks on major corporations, um, we've seen the, the, the problems that the NHS has had, for example, that sort of thing just heightens people's nervousness about going more and more electronic and putting more and more things in the cloud. So it's one of the first two questions I think people always ask about 4IR. So Nigel, why should manufacturers be increasingly thinking about cybersecurity and what are some of the ramifications if they don't plan for it? Well, as Martin's mentioned, the publicity around uh, cybersecurity and around the NHS um, is one aspect. The four four IR um, technologies open up the security footprint to significantly more attacks. Um, So the the vectors of attack are hackers, just to be a nuisance, uh, but that includes the internal threat. So is a company, for example, happy that an, an employee may take, I don't know, a four terabyte hard drive away with the intellectual property, all of the emails of the work and his colleagues that he's done to the next employer just because he thinks it might help him. And, and that's a big problem. Um, in the industrial piece, we're going to see in the future an even more serious problem. And that is, it sounds a little bit too Hollywood, but that's cyber warfare. In that in the future, 20 nations have uh, openly declared offensive cyber capability. That means that they will be putting the equivalent of a hacker's attack potentially into critical national infrastructure, into industrial control systems, and then exploit those at the point of war. So, for example, when the Russians uh, attacked Ukraine, they switched the power off with something called black energy. That's the future that faces us. So between the simple hacker attack or the data protection issues that we're seeing very much in the press, right up to that sharp end, There are significant problems in this space that that need to be addressed. I believe that it wasn't until the government in the UK and the US talked about their cyber uh, practices and their policies and their strategies for a national scale in around about 2010, which became known as the Scary Brief. The intelligence agencies for the first time told the mass public about what the Russians and the Chinese were doing in our networks in terms of stealing intellectual property of massive uh, cybercrime and serious organised crime. That, I think, was the key that started to mature the cybersecurity market. I was asked by the city uh, investors some years ago about that time uh, why the defence companies are involved in cybersecurity. 
And that's because they understood espionage, they understood uh, intelligence. They wondered why the, the uh, IT profession didn't really get it. Well, they did a few years later when they saw the opportunity to sell solutions. Uh, but the key to this is understanding what the risk is, understanding what the risk appetite of the business is, and understanding how to protect against the, those threats. Yeah, that sounds pretty frightening. Um, but for like an SME who maybe doesn't feel that they're going to be specifically targeted by uh, you know, a government or a specific terrorist group or something like that, what's the threat that they face? Well, to extend that scary brief <laughs> comment that I made, um, consider one of the attack vectors. A, an SME was attacked, the CAD drawings were changed, that SME just provided bolts into the aircraft uh, industry, into military aircraft, when the air, and it was tuned by an assailant to work out exactly uh, what tolerances could be affected on those bolts to pop the window out of an aircraft at a particular altitude and uh, uh, speed. A, 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 a military aircraft, of course. Uh, so that's the sort of thing that people are, are considering in the future. Oh. It's the opposite end, the sharp end, of uh, what we're hearing in terms of data protection and that aspect. But the reason for me mentioning it is if we don't think of it from that perspective... We won't actually cover the threat vector that is appropriate to 4IR. So obviously IT needs to be involved in implementing cybersecurity at manufacturers, but are there other people in the organization that need to be involved? It's about the whole organization. It's about a security posture uh, that minimizes the security footprint. So if we need to know what assets we've got, we need to switch off those that we don't know, that we no longer need. We need to scan the networks to make sure we know what assets we've actually got because when we do that for companies, we find typically there's 50% more assets than they thought about. Mm. Take a typical uh, large plant, for example. They will bring in si uh, subcontractors to build the subsystems of that plant and those industrial control systems. The people managing the plant probably won't realise that they uh, those subcontractors will log in each morning to the system through Wi-Fi and the internet to work out whether their systems are still in tolerance and whether they need to calibrate them or not or send a maintenance engineer in. So we're not necessarily aware of our security footprint. So we have to make sure we understand that and then close that down appropriately. And it's not about technology, it's about that security posture. Do we have adequate passwords? Do we use phrases that are easy to remember so people don't write them down? It's, it's about making sure those simple things are done before we actually start addressing the complex things. So 80% of the problem can be taken away at that simple level. There's good guidance for that in terms of Cyber Essentials. Cyber Essentials is a government scheme and it's a technically based thing. So ISO 27001 will help with good security postures, policies and a good organisation for security. Um, but Cyber Essentials is focused on things like are we looking at the patch management? So are we putting the Microsoft updates in every Tuesday? Because doing that resolves a lot of the vulnerabilities. So what are some of the best practices in terms of cybersecurity that you're seeing? Most companies are coming at it from the GDPR, the General Data Protection uh, Regulation piece at the moment because of all of the press. Um, which is fine because that's part of the problem, making sure the website is secure, making sure that the customer data is not on that website, um, it is on, on a different server so that if the website does become compromised, that information is elsewhere and then that it's encrypted. So take TalkTalk, they had their customer information on their website, which is a basic error. EMC didn't encrypt the passwords that they were using on their systems for, for security. 
um, another basic error. So those things can be sorted out very, uh, very easily by having a, a, a simple posture to security, simple policies uh, to, to security, and taking simple measures and designing security in uh, from the start. So you're protecting, protecting against confidentiality, uh, integrity and availability. Can I make sure people can't get at my data? Uh, can I make sure people don't change my data? Uh, can I get the data when I need it? That's the, uh, the underlying principle of cybersecurity. So Martin, as you're hearing Nigel talk, do you think that there is some things that manufacturers should be implementing in their own workplaces? Well, I, I think that there's actually, um, I, I think, a lack of a good standard for people to, to work to. And I think the Cyber Essential Standard was brought out initially for, there was a Ministry of Defence sponsored standard that you have to meet this standard and Cyber Essentials Plus if you want to supply to the MOD. And I think that's a really good starting point in terms of, you know, follow those good practices and it gets you to a cert certain level. And I, I think it's, um, it, uh, as Nigel says, it's a lot of common sense things, um, but it does take everyone to be involved in it. You can't have you know one weak spot in the organisation compromises the whole system. But I think the you know the cyber essentials, cyber essentials plus is a really good starting point, and I think people really need to start looking and adopting that those good practices. And you mentioned that going forward, it might be something that organisations like the MOD are requiring certain levels of cyber security in order to work with them. Uh, they do already yes, require do. that. And the, the level they require depends on where they judge, the risk level they judge you at in that. You probably know this better than me, Nigel. That's correct, isn't it? Yes, it's an extension of cyber essentials into something called DCPP, which was the uh, Defence Cyber Protection Partnership. So taking the standard cyber essentials, which is a self-certification, uh, uh, basically it's a questionnaire that you answer, you pay to one of the certifying bodies something like three or four hundred pounds, so it's, it's very cost effective. There are 120 questions in cyber essentials. They are very good guidance in, in, in the awareness and the understanding of what needs to be put in place. There's then a cyber essentials plus, which means that a consultant has to come on site, do various scans and, uh, and ensure that what's been put into the uh, self-assessment uh, is actually implemented right the way across the organisational systems. We actually do that certification and we find that 85%, and that's typical, GCHQ and CSC will say it's typical, that 85% fail. And that's because they've not necessarily understood the questions or that they believe that they're imp uh, implementing at a management level some of those practices, but then tangibly they're not actually being seen and having an effect. But what tends to happen through a Cyber Essentials uh, Plus exercise is that the consultant will help and hold hands and put those things in place to ensure that people get through that, uh, uh, that assessment. Then the, C the DCPP has three levels of additional controls that have been put in specifically for the defence sector. So Cyber Essentials is appropriate to all businesses, um, whether it be an estate agent or a critical national inf infrastructure. And the DCPP is the piece that is now mandated across um, uh, the Ministry of Defence. So really this is a business issue in terms of getting customers and being part of a supply chain to a significant organisation. This is something that's going to be required. Yes, um, for, for large organisations, we actually certify their whole supply chain. Um, in terms of getting started, if a company is starting from zero at this point, not really knowing a lot about cybersecurity, what's kind of the first step you would suggest they take? It's looking at that security posture. It's making sure that we've got, um, we know what our assets are, 
We, we know that we've uh, closed down the, the open assets, such as Wi-Fi being encrypted, um, that we're putting that patch management in place. Cyber Essentials looks at those as, as, as a minimum standard. Some businesses run too many system admin accounts. Those need to be closed down and the passwords tightly controlled. But I think the one important thing, most people say, should we throw money at it with IT solutions? You can do that. Um, and the net effect of that is there will be logs everywhere that tell you what's going on in your system. It's amazing that very few people actually look at those logs. So if I'm the CEO of any organisation, I would turn around to my IT team and make sure that they're looking at those logs and looking for those sorts of issues. Because they will show you what people are trying to do in attacking the systems. Then you can start looking at what you need to protect and how much you need to throw at that risk affordability balance. And it doesn't have to be that much. There are very cost-effective uh, solutions to, to cybersecurity. And Martin, when you're working with manufacturers that are implementing 4IR and new technologies, how do you introduce the topic of cybersecurity and make sure they're thinking about the risks there? Well, I think it's uh, it's one of the first things that, that we talk about. As we talk about, um, when I like to talk about 4IR and um, what people should be implementing, we start actually by talking about business strategy and how you compete and therefore where is it you're going to invest in technology. But alongside that, where do you invest in technology is how do you make it secure? Because in so many cases now we're talking you know, complex supply chains and it's not just making sure you, within your own four walls that it's secure. You've got to make sure that the whole supply chain is secure. So it really goes hand in hand with the moment you start talking about business strategy and technology strategy. You've got to be talking about your cybersecurity strategy at the same time. So is there anything else uh, either of you think that manufacturers should know about cybersecurity today? There's two points I'd make. One is um, a, a practical approach. Um, and uh, what we found in working with companies is that by running a cyber exercise at a board level and senior management level, a lot of issues come out of it. So the mergers and acquisitions market will value a company at zero if it's not got a good ELP system so it manages the accounts and the whole infrastructure of the organisation and has a disaster recovery plan against a flood or a fire because the, without remote backups etc the company could be worth zero after such an event. The likelihood of a cyber attack is far more likely but it's very unusual to find companies that have actually exercised at senior management level what they would do in the event of an attack. The outcome of a good exercise would be that recovery plan and that helps with the awareness, it helps with make sure that everybody's communicating what the issues are um, and I found it a very, very cost effective approach for companies to, to, to really sort out the, the, the issues and, and know what they need to do. Um, so that's the first point I make. The, the second one is uh, slightly amusing. Um, we talk about industrial control systems, we talk about critical national infrastructure, we talk about this very modern threat, the internet wasn't really designed and didn't become commercially available until around about 1985. If I asked you the question of what was the first critical national infrastructure cyber attack that you can remember, you'll probably scratch your, your, your head, but uh, try 1969 when uh, Michael Caine and Benny Hill attacked the Milan uh, traffic light system by changing the computers uh, to enable them to steal gold. And that's what we're talking about in terms of a cyber attack on industrial control systems. Well, thank you both for speaking with us today. We'll be back soon for our third podcast in this series, focusing on the workplace of the future.